Do you know what it will entice you to clean? If your house smells like a beach afterward and it doesn't smell like, you know, cleaning products. Well, enter Clorox. They can transform your space into a tropical getaway by upgrading your cleaning routine with coconut scented Clorox Sentiva. It smells like coconut. It cleans like Clorox and it feels like inspiration. With a refreshing scent that will leave your home clean and fresh, elevating any room into an oasis. Now you can express your style and get shiny clean, get Clorox Sentiva at a nearby retail store, also available in grapefruit or lavender scents. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin, And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Ben and Ashley I, Almost Famous, in-depth. It is the off-season for the Almost Famous podcast. And one of Ashley... And I, that's, that's wrong, right? We're going to yell that for that. It's no, like Ashley, Ashley and, and my, my, Ashley and my, yeah. One of Ashley and my's favorite things to do is to sit down in the off season and talk to some of Bachelor Nation's favorites about them as people, their lives, what they're learning, what they're experiencing, what their future is. This is an in-depth episode with Dr. Joe Park, and we could not be more pumped for Ashley. You've been waiting for this one for a while. What are you feeling? Oh, I'm very excited. I'm just so excited to have an in-depth and especially with such a fan favorite from the past season or two. And Joe was just announced as like the first contestant to be going to Paradise, I believe confirmed because Rob Mills did tweet that out a couple weeks ago. So we'll talk to him about that. And then at the end of this episode, we'll have headlines. Let's do it. Hey, uh, Ashley, let's bring him in. Dr. Joe, what's going on, buddy? Hey, what's up, guys? Not much. Just, uh, you know, just living it. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Just living it. 
<laughs> All right. Well, Joe, so with these mini in-depths or in-depths, whatever you want to call it, we really start with the beginning of somebody's life you know, their childhood. So can you tell us about your, your nuclear family, what your childhood was like, how many siblings you have, how, how happy of a marriage did your parents have all that? Yeah, dude, I'm into it. Yeah, for sure. So it was a dark and stormy night. It was March 31st, 1984. Um, March 31st? Uh, anyway, yeah. Your birthday is in two yeah. days? It's coming. Happy birthday. Oh, it's coming. Yeah, it's coming. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, but now these birthdays are not occasion I look forward to now. I kind of avoid them at this point of my life. So, but thank you. 37, um, huh? 37, 37. I know. Don't remind me. But, um, but yeah, so I grew up on Long Island. Um, I'm one of five kids. Um, my parents have been happily married since 1981. Um, and they still go for walks. They still send me pictures of them just going on little like hikes and adventures, uh, walking the dog. Um, I'm the second of five children. Um, I've, and fortunately we all live in New York, so we see each other not infrequently, which is such a blessing. That's nice. Um, yeah, it's beautiful. Um, I have a lot of cousins and, um, nieces and nephews running around or like second cousins, actually. I have one nephew, uh, official nephew, but you know, my cousins have kids. I think they're second cousins. So a lot of them running around, um, and spend most of my life on Long Island aside from school in DC after four years and worked there for two years. And um, I traveled a bit, you know, before med school for like six months around Central America, kind of bumming around Central America for a little bit. Uh, but aside from that, I've mostly been in New York pursuing this whole medicine thing, which tends to take up a fair amount of time. Um, and yeah, that's kind of like the, the, the really like nuts and bolts of it. What part of Central America? Um, I, my trip um, pre-med school was, I did I did it all other countries um, in Central America. I mostly stationed in Nicaragua, but really traveled through all of them, just looking for uh, different surf spots yeah. um, throughout. So it was, a, it was a beautiful trip. And um, I've been pretty much back every year since then, minus this past year, obviously. I spend two all months right. of my life every year in Honduras. So Get out of here. No, yeah. So two months every year for the last like, 10 years I spend in Honduras and San Pedro Sula, like El Progreso area. So I know all about Central America. We got to talk about it. There's a lot we could do down there together. Yeah, absolutely. It'd be cool. Oh, dude, it's amazing down there. I love it. Mm -hmm. On Instagram, I was seeing yeah. all your intense surfer photos. How did a kid from Long Island get to be so good on the waves? You know, actually, there's a big surf scene in Long Island. I grew up right next to a town called Long Beach, New York, not to be confused Long Beach, California. Um, actually, a lot of great surfers come out of there. One of the biggest, best big wave surfers, Will Scudin, um, was is from Long Beach, California. I mean, Long Beach, New York. Um, so I started surfing um, a little bit on Long Island. And then, you know, as the years went by, I visited California, picked, like was there for like a month and surfed there. And then uh, since then, just been surfing on Long Island in Central America. Um, I've surfed in like Vancouver. Uh, I've done uh, Ecuador, so I've been traveling a lot uh, for surfing here in their Bali. It's beautiful, it was a beautiful trip. So, um, so yeah, it's it's possible, man. When these hurricanes run, run through, come through, it's like it's terrible for most people, but surfers are like, wait, hurricane? Like, yeah. what? So it's yeah, it's kind of a kind of a weird, you know. But yeah, well, one, know, of, ever since. one of the things as we're talking about your childhood, and I think we're gonna get to it uh, here is a good time for it. 
you on the show and after the show, right? The show is always something and it can portray people all sorts of ways, but it's, it's usually fairly accurate. But one of the things that always stood out to us was you always had a smile on your face. Uh, you were always like a, a level headed kind of like a, a connector. Like if that makes sense, like that you could tell that you didn't want to add anything, any drama more to the scene than there already was. Where does that come from? Uh, cause even after the show, like watching on social media and, and hearing about you through friends, like where, where, where does that spirit and that desire to just connect and love on people well come from? You know, that's a good question. I, I don't know where it comes from per se. I will say I've got amazing parents. I mean that like my mom is like the kindest, sweetest, like most caring individual. I could, I could just regale you with stories of her just being like, just un, like otherworldly kind. Um, and my dad has always been a very social, very like, um, he's been a connector in his life, like politically. And I think it comes from there. And I think just being an empathetic human being goes so, so far in life. And I think it would help in any situation, including the, the situations that are facing our society now. Um, we're all just trying to do the best we can. And I think once you realize that it's like nobody's nobody wants to be bad. Everyone just thinks, you know, everyone's thinking they're doing the right thing or they're trying to like be good. They just, their message is misconstrued or um, they don't know how to convey it. You know, they can't convey it in the way they want to convey it. And it gets, the message is garbled, but nobody, I don't think anyone thinks I'm going to be a, a jerk and I'm going to show the world I'm a jerk. And yeah. I think just knowing that, like nobody thinks that. And just, just, Starting from there, I think you could just be like, hey, like uh, that sounded really wrong and that came across kind of aggressive, but like, what do you mean by that? Like, you like just go and, you know, just like develop that further, like, you know, like unpack that and, and tell me what you really mean because I know it's not exactly what it sounds like. I love that it's feedback. Shown um, with, your, with your parents, did they have any influence on you wanting to be a doctor did you have that kind of drive naturally or do you think that was something your parents instilled in you um so my parents are like my dad came here you know dollar in a dream both of them literally peddled in chinatown for years um and then eventually got enough to open a shop and sold like clothes for a period of time and then now they opened up like again still just have a, a store that sells uniforms so super humble super blue collar um start from the bottom and um were they immigrants? more than anything was there, yes they were immigrants yeah they came to the u.s in the late 70s and mom early 80s from where what were um, they what, what city were they living in uh they they came from south korea um and they my dad's from like a very small fishing village um on the coast of south on the east coast of south korea and um my mom is from around seoul and um okay. they both came in like the early 80s um and i think the late 70s and uh again just like literally just sold trinkets like on the street you know and like literally just had a table and sold little american flags little like really the american dream and they started from there and then from there it's just their work ethic i think was instilled it instilled in us at a very young age and i think all of uh, all five of us, all five of their kids, kids, like obviously we love them and we appreciate them and we know how hard they work and we, I mean, yeah, so I think you can't help 
you know, being surrounded by that for however many years, for eight, at least 18 years, and then more thereafter, you can't help but like be influenced and have that be kind of infused into you. Um, and I just feel lucky that I was born into such a beautiful family and awesome parents. Oh, that's so sweet. I love that story. Yeah. So how we real quick, um, a little off, but I'm, I'm intrigued. How did they meet? I was going to ask you. Yeah. Oh, that's, <laughs> you know, that's a good question. And not completely unrelated, like to The Bachelor. They met in the US and um, they were like taking a couple of classes at Hunter. And neither of them finished, neither of them graduated college. Um, and they were taking classes at Hunter College in New York City. And they're just taking a couple of classes, just like as a survey courses, you know, just to see, getting their feet wet in the American education system. And they met in class and Six months later, my dad proposed and um, my mom had actually kind of been seeing somebody at the time. And he, this person, I think had gone away to Korea for, for a bit and then came back. He's like, what? Like what? Yeah. Like, Shocker. For, 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 like, for a couple of months. And this is what happened, you know? And, um, and oddly, and it's like a trend in my family. My, my, my younger brother was married with my only, and for happily married for a few years for like, nine years and um Melly nephew is from my younger brother mm-hmm. they got engaged after nine months and uh, my older brother got married last year and he got engaged after like seven uh eight months of dating I think so like moving fast like when you know you in my family like you know and uh, that's kind of one of the reasons why I was like the bachelor the bachelorette might be right up my alley like once you like see it and you like it like maybe that's it all it takes like and you're in and you just know so um ah, it's kind of weird in that way you are yeah. well suited for this that's awesome to hear nice. especially since we yeah. know that you're headed to paradise we'll get there later i want to talk about okay this little stat that i've kind of come up with and i really do need to do like a little bit more numerical research on it i've mentioned this a couple of times on the podcast It seems that when it comes down to the final four, at least 75% of the final four and about 80% of the top 10 on The Bachelor and Bachelorette happen to have parents who are still married, which obviously defeats the national odds. So do you feel like your parents' marriage and how happy it was, was one of the reasons that like you feel like you're a hopeless romantic type that was drawn to the show? It's a good question. You know, I would say in part, again, what I described, their kind of whirlwind kind of mar- like meeting and marriage definitely was part of it. And also, yeah, I think when you come from a place where you see love and you, you kind of have that example growing up and you see it throughout it, it's, it's not always like you know, unicorns and rainbows, but you see arguments here and there. They weren't like, you know, devoid of that. But for the vast majority, it was like love and again, just like spending time with each other and I think when you have that structure in place, I think when you, you can recognize like what you can just see it and you see it in yourself, you see the comfort you have with somebody, you see um, how much, how do I say this? It's like when you interact with somebody, you kind of, I think based on the interactions you see um, or I see with my parents, it's like there's a level of comfort the level of understanding that I always see with my parents. And I think that's something I, I look for as well. I think we all look for it. And I think when you see it a lot, you can recognize it when you have it with somebody else. And 
Um, it's rare, don't get me wrong, it's not easy to find, but when you, when you find it, it's, it's special. And I think having that, being around it all the time, you can recognize it when you find it, when you find it. So I would say for that reason, I think um, maybe it's the same way for all these final fours um, <laughs> that they also, are, they're open to it and they're like, I'll know it when I find it. And if I've found it in this person, then I'll pursue it and see what happens. I, I apologize if I missed this or, or forgot about it from the show, but have you, have you been in love before? Like, have you dated, uh, had serious relationships leading up to the show? Um, yeah, definitely. I've had, um, I had a three year relationship and, um, she was a great girl and, uh, I still, you know, have very fun memories and nothing but good feelings towards her. Um, I've had a number of like one to two year relationships prior to that. Um, so I'm gen- I'm pretty much a serial monogamist, uh, in my life. That's what I've been in my, my life. And, um, Again, it was that's another reason why I was like, let me try this thing because you know I'm ready. I'm ready for that that next step. Obviously, the worst thing would be to force it and to rush into it and 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 take that step with somebody who may not be right for you. And so I'm still waiting to to find that person. Obviously, I'm still like not gonna just take that leap. Um, I want to know that it's the right step and the and, and we're the right we're right for each other um but i've definitely had a lot of love and i'm and i'm grateful for that as well because this is kind of weird but i kind of think we're we're all worthy of love on one hand can i curse on this show is that is this or is this pg yeah. i would not do it yeah you can Go curse we're all kind of like we're all kind of assholes too on the inside you know what i mean like we're all kind of like like we're all not great human beings we're all like selfish ish also so we're both like dogs especially got men <laughs> but we're also all deserving of love i think there is this dichotomy where it's like you gotta like when you're first meeting somebody and first like you know courting somebody you have to be like oh this is why i'm the man and then afterwards like later you're like man but i hope they accept me for the piece of crap that i really am and it's not really like i'm, I'm going extreme too but like i hope they can accept me for all my faults and all my like insecurities and everything after so this weird like interplay between like this uber confidence and this like real like you know i think at least for me it is but i think a lot of the guys my friends i speak to the same thing so we totally understand i've said multiple times on the show that like i find it annoying when people are like i deserve love like i I can't believe i was cut i deserve love it's like yeah like i'm pretty sure very few people out there horrible horrible people may not deserve love but like pretty sure everybody on the bachelor deserves love (laughs) it's uh Um, yeah. I will tell you this, Joe, um, Dr. Joe, uh, if you find love on this television show, that's that, that, that the mission. If you find love in this experience, I think the internet would break. I don't know of <laughs> one cast member in the last year to two years that will be coming on the paradise. That would be more cheered for than you. You like grasped the hearts of people in a way that's like, Let's if if you happen to have your love story play out and we can watch it, people are gonna freak out. Now, no <laughs> pressure, but I'm yeah. gonna be one of those people. <laughs> I'm gonna be at my home, tears in my eyes, 
cheering for you uh, and just the whole experience in general. Hey, uh, let's take a break here. When we come back, we're going to dig in a little bit more to Joe's life. Uh, his experience coming up that's going to be on Bachelor in Paris. Let's get him to confirm that first. We have had it tweeted, but let's get Joe to confirm it and also talk about uh, what's going on in, uh, in the Asian community uh, when it comes to Asian hate. Hey, we'll be back with the Almost Famous Podcast. What keeps baby skin healthy? A diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. That's why Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better versus the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection to help keep your baby's skin dry and healthy. We have been a Pampers family since the start with Dawson. It takes you a few months of experimentation to figure out what really works. And for us, Pampers really works. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. All that, so important. Try Swaddlers with the new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin for trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. 
I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're back with Dr. Joe Park. Dr. Joe, when did you decide that you wanted to be a doctor? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I kind of always thought, like, if you looked at my, like, fifth grade, what do you want to do when you grow up? It was pediatrician. So I've kind of always wanted to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, it just took a little bit longer. You know, I worked for four years before med school. because um, I wasn't sure I wanted to do it. But uh, I wasn't sure I was ready to commit to it. But um, I'm super glad that I had that time because it really helped me create kind of like a philosophy as to why. I mean, I was trying to hammer down why I wanted to be a doctor. And I really felt like during those four years, I was able to form a good rationale as to why, like, I want this is something I want to pursue for the rest of my life. And so um, I'm grateful for that time as well to kind of develop as a human uh, before like being around humans in their time of need, their, 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 their most dire and um, some of their hardest times of their lives. And I think it takes, you should have in my own opinion, some life experience and some level of obviously empathy and understanding of, of people before you jump into that. So yeah, I was happy that I had that time. I feel like people must tell you all the time, you must get the best reviews on your bedside manner. Is this true? I get decent reviews on bedside manner. Yeah. But I think it's just like, I love people, you know, I, I, um, and I just think it's such a privilege to be with them at their, in their moment of need. Like today I actually had a five-year-old girl who needed an appendectomy and, um, I was, I was relieving somebody who was on overnight and she's in the room. She's just rolled into the room and it was this weird shift change where I didn't get to meet her before. And she's just laying there crying, like, like mm. just really sad because she's without her parents in this cold operating room. And I just wonder like, Hey, like, Hey, you're going to be fine. Like, don't worry. Like you're just gonna take a nap. Uh-huh. I wish I was taking a nap instead of you. Oh my gosh. Like you're going to be, you're going to do great. 
And um, I showed her all the stuff. Like, this is just a light. We're gonna put this on your finger. You know, it's just like no, no nothing sharp. It's literally just a light. You hear that? Hear that beeping? That's your heart. You know, like just listen to it for a sec. Pretty cool. And so it's just like you know, yeah. Again, it's like privilege to be with this person, and then you know, just to like, because yeah, I mean, it's it's such a crazy field. It's such medicine is so crazy to see people so sick and you know honestly even see inside their bodies it's just an intimate relationship you have with people and again it's it's not to be taken lightly and so um i love it and it's super interesting too and um i love it so after uh, that yeah i i just have to ask if they put you on a lot of pediatric cases i i have to like i i get very interested in this medical stuff i've talked plenty of times my dad is an anesthesiologist like you yeah yeah we um, talked about that yeah and i just i'm having this 33 year old crisis <laughs> that i wish that i became a dermatologist i'm like oh god is it too late to go back to uh, school it, it is because i didn't do pre-med look if i could just jump into it i may do it but i have i'd have like 15 years of school it actually is probably too late for me but do they do they put you on a lot of pediatric cases because that was just the sweetest story you just shared um i don't look for them sometimes they just kind of fall into your lap and so um i love kids and in a, again in another life i would probably be a pediatrician um but uh but yeah i mean happy to take care of young old and everything in between seriously whatever comes my way i'm happy to to see and take care of I have a couple of buddies who are anesthesiologists. What is your source of entertainment during surgery? Because I know that you, you sometimes you have these long surgeries. You your job isn't done, but it's kind of set up. What is your what do you do yeah. while the surgery is going on? Um, that's a really good. There's a, there's a lot. I mean, it's kind of gonna be weird, but like you always have to be aware of the monitors, obviously, yeah. because those monitors represent the patient's life. Um, but sometimes doing these stretches, I have a stretch routine. Actually I do like a 15 minute stretch, stretching routine where I'm like, I'm looking at the monitors, I'm listening to the monitors, but I'm still like doing some arms, like doing hip flexes. Yeah. So like I'll stretch and like now the surgeons know like, Oh, it's just Joe doing his thing. They're not like, what the hell is it? Like, cause they'll see me like squatted on the ground. Like what the hell is this guy doing? But yeah, you know, I'm, I'm staring at the monitor just like for like in a weird low lunge and, and yeah, like so that. do that. Um, sometimes I, I have like these like, um, Spanish flash, I'm learning Spanish, I learned, picked up Spanish during the quarantine. So like, I like, you know, flashcard here and there, like once, you know, once in a while, I look at a flashcard here and there. Um, I'll look at the surgeries. There's so many different surgeries, surgeries and everything's always changing. And so that's the beautiful thing about medicine and anesthesia there's always something new. There's always something to learn. So a lot of times I'm just staring at the surgery, just looking at the monitor, being like, it's really interesting. Like, so what exactly are you doing here? So I'm I'm not saying I could perform an appendectomy, but I think I could talk someone through it pretty well. Better than like a <laughs> surgery, re surgery resident, I would say. The first, better than a first year for sure. So yeah, I mean, there's so much going, it's such a dynamic environment. Um, there's always something to, to be doing, so. So after you took your four years in between college and med school, where did you end up going to med school? I went to Stony Brook School of Medicine out in Stony Brook, Long Island. But I think now it's called Renaissance. But uh, but yeah, it's, it's out in Stony Brook. Um, awesome place. Um, it was, there aren't that many. I mean, so it's, the further east you go out of Long Island, the less sparse, the more sparse it is in terms of population. So Stony Brook was the preeminent hospital um, in Suffolk County. And so um, we saw a lot of interesting cases. We saw a lot of um, intense surgeries. 
And uh, again, I met some of my best friends in med school. So um, I'm, again, I, lo I love my time in med school. And, and to your point, Ashley, like um, one, you've got great skin. So dermatology would be perfect for you. And Thanks. two, um, I think I love the ride. And, and the, I mean, like, I know it's partly tongue in cheek that you're saying, you know, you want to be a dermatologist, but if you love a little, medicine, it's like 50% serious. <laughs> Dude, the, the ride is good you know like med school is a lot of work but like if you're doing what you really want to do and you're around people who are just so motivated and so smart you're like you can't help but all like feel like you're part of a special group and again it's such a privilege once you start doing clinical rotations seeing like like when i was in med school i remember i was i did finance before and i was like i used to go to these meetings and we're talking about oh like growth and you know growth you studied charts and a lot finance of Excel spreadsheets. before I didn't study finance. I did uh, economic. I did consulting, so it was like before was, going to uh, med health... school. Yeah, yeah. So what did you study in college? I studied international affairs in college, actually. So wow. very circuitous. Like, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like little jack of all trades, but I uh, did international affairs at, in college. Then I did healthcare consulting in DC for two years, and then um, uh, yeah, I did I did cancer, I did research uh, neuro oncology research um, at Sloan Kettering in New York for two years. Um, but during that time doing consulting, I'd go to these meetings and the meetings would all be, would always be about like how to increase revenue, how to increase productivity, you know, normal things that companies have to worry about. And then I went to med school and my meetings were like how the human body works and like how drugs affect the human body and like um, advances in cancer therapies. And I'm like, this is like what I have to do. Like just the juxtaposition of the two was so was so different and, and 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 obviously so much more interesting and important you know in med school than uh in the in my role as a consultant so it kind of like reinforced i'm like man i'm in the right place and if i have to spend you know like a night instead of answering emails and working on a spreadsheet if i have to, if I have to study anatomy and figure out oh the four chambers of the heart and how like the Fabian veins work like that is so much more interesting then uh, again, like any of these Excel spreadsheets and everybody would find it interesting. I mean, not everyone wants to spend that time, but like, I mean, I know I, like, to figure to know how your heart works. I mean, you don't even think about it, but it's beating 80 times a minute, every minute, 24 hours a day, seven days a week for hopefully 90 years of your life. And you don't, really, you don't think about it, right? And it's such a beautiful thing to know how we all work, you know? And it's, um, again, it's, it was, it's, it was, I loved it. And uh, if you if you're really thinking about it, I say you go for it. Seriously. I'm thinking about sometimes going into like a physician's assistant thing. So it's not 100 percent um, full school, you know, to that degree. Yeah. But, um, sure. you know, like still being able to write prescriptions and like understand the human body <laughs> on a very deep level. Yeah. Yeah. I, I say write prescriptions as if that's why I want. <laughs> that's like the weirdest thing I could say. I just mean like, it's like, you know, you're just a step below doctor. Yeah, no, you take care of people, which is the most important thing. You understand the human body and you take care of people with that knowledge. And that's, that's what medicine's all about. Well, speaking of taking care of people, uh, you know, we, we love having people on this podcast, uh, especially in depth, because we can dive into some stuff that really matters in this world. Not that The Bachelor doesn't, but it doesn't make the world go round. Uh, and it, it, one of the things that are coming up recently uh, is uh, all the stories of Asian hate existing uh, really around the globe. 
uh, but you know, focused here yeah. in the U.S. because that's where we're living and that's where we're functioning. Uh, to kind of dive into this conversation, if you don't mind just sharing your story, kind of what you're processing through this, what you're learning and hearing. And then I, I mean, Ashley and I would love to dig into this with you a little bit. Sure. I mean, this past year has been, I think a difficult time for everybody, literally everybody. The pandemic has been difficult for like the, the 6.7 billion people who live, live on this planet. Um, in the U S you know, obviously with BLM, um, which, you know, really gained fervor, uh, last June, July, um, and continues, you know, um, to have that energy behind it. And yeah, recently or not recently, but, um, it's kind of been shown recently or people are becoming more aware of the hate and violence that Asians are, have been experiencing in the past year as well. And it kind of took a little bit of time for the numbers to come out, but recently the numbers came out that during 2020, there's been, there was a 150% increase in violence um, directed and hate directed toward Asian Americans. And so, you know, personally, it's such a weird dynamic because here I am, right? Like me, Joe, Asian American, Korean American, um, parents are again, come, came from Korea, and I'm on, um, I'm on, I have this platform with you guys and thank you so much for having me and letting me talk about this seriously. But here I am talking to you guys about this on this podcast. I was on um, a reality television show on a major uh, American uh, network. Um, we have our first Asian American uh, vice president. Um, we have uh, Pong Joon-ho who won best director, Parasite won best film last year, the Academy Awards. Chloe Zhao won um, the Golden Globe for Best Director for Nomadland. We have Steven Yun, who's uh, nominated for Best Actor at this year's Academy Awards. So on one hand, there's been so much progress. And this is the, maybe the best it's ever been. And so far from, you know, Mickey Rooney's portrayal of Mr. Inuyoshi in Breakfast at Tiffany's. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I know I see these stats. You know, 150% increase in, in, in hate and violence toward Asian Americans in the past in 2020. I see videos of people, Asian men, women, elderly people who look my, who look like my mom and my dad getting attacked on, on, a, on a subway. I see young Asian Americans getting punched in the face unprovoked. And it's this stark contrast that's really hard. It's hard to get you wrap your head around. You know, it is. Both is both the best of times and the worst of times in, in so many ways. And um, it's a definitely something that um, we're all coming to grips with, especially after the this, this shootings in the suburbs around Atlanta, where again, eight people died, six of whom were Asian American women. So it's definitely something that is becoming more recognized and more people are aware of it. And here we are talking about it. And I think that's, 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 that's how we move forward. You know, it's not something that we see and we experience and we hear about and we don't talk about. Like when there's a problem in a relationship or um, between anybody, between your coworker, between your, you know, your, your parents, between your, your, your love, your lo any loved one, your, your partner, you have to talk about it. And, and here we are talking about it. And um, again, that's, that's the first step for sure. One of the things, I mean, you just said it, but 
it's the best of times and the worst of times, which is a word that is now getting used a lot more, but it's a word that I think really encapsulates this whole time. It's disorienting, right? Like how do you, I, it, because it's the best of times and the worst of times, how do you process as an Asian, Amer- Asian American, the disorientation within it all and to see the future, like the, the, what could become of the future? So I think, again, it's, uh, there have been so many groups in American history um, that have suffered. And um, I think with Asians especially, we are, we are considered a model minority. We are considered um, a group that somehow has, has become, has gained a special status. And they're doing fine. When in reality, well, in a, relative proportion, at least in New York City, there's a greater percentage of Asian American or Asians who are impoverished than any other race. Um, Asians living in like tenements in Chinatown. It's just not talked about because the people in mainstream society you see are the doctors, are the finance people, are the lawyers. Um, I just think that recognition of that is the first step. And again, I love that we can have this conversation. Again, even within the hate, Best of times, worst of times. Now more people have heard about Vincent Chin, about the murder of an Asian American man in 1982. For nothing, for no other reason aside from the color of his skin. Uh, more people are becoming or reacclimating themselves with Japanese internment camps, Japanese internment camps during World War II, where American citizens were forcibly removed from their homes and put into internment camps in the United States in the 1940s. We're learning about Fred Korematsu. Uh, during that same era. And so there's a lot that people are being exposed to. And again, these conversations are what's going to help. Again, first is like that knowledge that, oh, shoot, I I, I didn't even know about that. I didn't know, you know, China Exclusion Act of 1882. I'd never heard of that before. Maybe you you hear about that. And if with an empathetic heart, you know, and a curious mind, a little bit of both, you learn more about it. And you understand the struggles of a people, you know, who you can't obviously put into one, you know, single, like there's no monolithic Asian culture. You know, we are all individuals. And I think knowing the struggle that a group has, has already been through and then it continues to go through, especially in this past year and, and currently um, helps appreciate maybe a little bit like, Man, you know, just straight up, it would have been, it, my life would have been a lot easier if I was white. If I had the exact same stats, if I had the exact same grades, if I was the exact same everything, except for the, the pigment in my skin, I might be in a better place right now. And if someone had darker or their eyes are a little smaller, maybe I might be in a worse, like that, those people might be in a worse place for no other reason but that. And I think just recognizing that is, would take us so far. I think that's kind of how I'm pressing. I think it's a terrible thing that's happening, obviously, to people who look like me, but also great that people are talking about. What do you think the correlation is between the rise of Asian hate this year and the coronavirus? Do you believe that there is? I mean, without question, the rhetoric of the past administration um, has did a lot of damage to um, or helped stoke the flames that, you know, it didn't cause it. You can't say it it was the reason why people had, anytime there's a bad, there's something negative in anyone's life, especially 
on a big scale, we all, it's human nature to want to blame something or someone. That's just human nature. And knowing where this, you know, this virus originated from, I think it's easy to say, you know, okay, well, it's because of these people. Even though these people, anyone who's been attacked, I would bet any amount of money, they have zero connection to this middle-sized city, you know, on the other side of the, the globe. Like the idea that, you know, Noel Quintana who got slashed from ear to ear on a New York State subway has any relation to Wuhan, China is it's insane. And I think that's unfortunately to people who want to blame, have, you know, give blame to something, to someone, uh, people are angry with their situation and who, which a lot of people are and, 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 and understandably so. And they want to attribute blame. It's a natural human reaction to want to blame someone. And unfortunately, that blame um, has been put on people who look like me, uh, you know, Asian Americans. Um, and I think it's the same as like, it's like, what if instead of Asian Americans, all of a sudden we knew it came from people with freckles and everyone's freckles, people were punching in the face on the street randomly or saying like the nastiest things to, or being literally like with a box cutter sliced, like because they had freckles, it's the same thing. Or what if you had hazel eyes? What if it's people with hazel eyes spread the disease? Now everyone is like attacking people with hazel eyes. Like I think that would help Americans of all colors and all, you know, from all backgrounds, understand how arbitrary it is to attack any Asian American you know, and, or uh, throw any like hateful words towards them, direct any hate towards them because of a random happenstance of genetics and mutations and animal transmissions that happen again, completely randomly in this random city in, in China. There's a long history of viruses being named after the place of origin, you know, Ebola, um, West Nile, Spanish flu. Do you feel like this is a pattern that needs to stop for this reason that we're seeing? Um, thankfully, you know, the coronavirus is just a class of virus, but um, I think more, I think it's okay to understand origins of, of things. I don't think it's, it's wrong to know, you know, how things came about, um, the reasons they came about, the antecedents. I think it's um, important to understand these things, but I think it the next level is to educate all, you know, ourselves and knowing that like, because it comes from China, you know, a city in China, you know, one city that, encaps you know, like, that encapsulates 1.7 billion people who live there, you know, and has no relation, you know, that city has a relation probably to the rest of the country and that, and nobody in the United States has any relation to, to that little city in that big country, you know, like it's so, I think it just takes another level where it's like, just because it's named after something, doesn't mean it's the fault of the people there, you know, that it exists. You know, that is a fact of globalization, you know, of, um, yeah, just the reality of the times we're living in. I mean, there's, you go on and on about why pandemics occur. And I think we're almost lucky that it hadn't happened earlier, you know, it could have happened in China, but it could easily come out of, you know, Europe, you know, and, and I, I think, Again, it doesn't matter, but it's like the first cases of 
the coronavirus spread from Asia, from Asia to Europe and then to the United States. So, but again, it doesn't matter. You know, like we're all sharing this burden together and um, pandemics happen. It sounds crazy, but they happen. And hopefully it won't happen again in our lifetimes, but it's going to happen again. It's not the fault of the place of origin that it happens. Like it's just a fault of biology and, and, you know, human globalization and interaction with different species of animals. Anyway, that's just a different conversation. The, uh, the thing that this is bringing up and, and I really would love to hear your perspective on it. And so, you know, 2020 has been an interesting year, right? Because as you said, there's a burden that we're all universally carrying, uh, carrying, but in the midst of that, we've had, uh, some some movements come up some knowledge that have been brought to the attention of of especially the american people to say there's some injustice going on in the world these things have been happening for hundreds upon hundreds of years now now it's now it's in at, in front of us and it's almost like it, it feels like almost time okay what's the decision you're gonna make are you gonna choose to start to try to heal and to help or to hurt more and to change your rhetoric to be even more hurtful okay so what I'm getting at is how do we now, in the midst of knowing there's so much injustice that is around us every day, how do we get in front of it as people so that it doesn't happen to have, have to have 150% increase in violence and it doesn't have to have the death of people of color uh, at the hands of others for us to finally take notice? So in your life right now, because you're a smart dude who I know I can learn a lot from. How are you now paying attention and staying curious to what other injustices are happening around us so that it doesn't take this again? Um, that's a really, really good question. Um, I think all of us, um, myself included, I think we all have preconceived notions. And that's, again, that's the human condition to have that. That's part of how we just, you know, this is how we operate. But just to know, I think one, as far as hate goes, <clears throat> first of all, I think is empathy and just knowing kind of what I've been saying kind of already, I feel, I feel like it's only a broken record, but just knowing that person in front of you, whoever, whatever color, whatever, uh, you know, race, whatever religion, wherever they're from, uh, whatever gender, like you, you may not know who they are, but what you do know, what you probably do know, you don't know where they're from, you know, you don't know how they grew up. You don't know the struggles they went through. But what you probably do know is they want the same things that you want out of life. They want to be loved. They want to be heard. They want to feel appreciated. They have family that they care about or friends that they, they really care about and want to be safe. Um, they want their needs met. Um, and so knowing that, again, like how much we all are the same i think it's that is the first step like you know that nigerian immigrant i don't know him or her at all but i do know you know as an immigrant as a child of immigrants i know how the struggle when i hear an accident i don't think like oh man what are you doing here? i think man like it took you that much you know another language fluently but it took you that much just to learn another language. How many Americans know two languages? You know, like it's a fault of America, but like my an accident, I'm like, good for you, man, or, or girl. Like, you know, like, thank you for putting in that effort to like meet me at my level. And 
I think just again, keeping it, having that empathy, which is kind of a function that makes us human. Having that empathy is like such, is like that first step and just pause and, and all like whatever frequency of hate or negative you have towards somebody or some group, just think for a second, like, what don't you know about this? Like, what do you really know about that person on the street? What do you really know about that person or that person next to you or that person on the subway or that person like, you know, anywhere? And like, how much, again, as a human being, do you think you can relate with? You know, like, I just think there's so much more we all have in common. I think once you realize that, like we'd all be good, you know, Asian, black, like whatever you are, wherever you are, I think that's the thing that binds us all, you know, like we're all, we're all doing the best we can, like I said, to start this thing. And, and that's where it starts, you know, no one, everyone's just trying their best. You're the best, Joe Park. You're awesome. I will say on a, on a societal level, though, I do think like, again, um, I do think representation in uh, the government, in government and in, in social media, like, but also populations to get a little more ready in, in like middle America who've never met an Asian person. They've never met, never met a Jewish person. Maybe they don't never met a black person before. And so that's why like social media, like media matter. That's why like Black Panther was such a breakthrough, right? To have a, a, a predominantly African-American cast as like heroes. If someone on your post, like on your wall, you have black, you know, like Black Panther. And why I'm so happy about the strides that Asian American cinematography has made because there's this push pull between like norms and ideas in society and social media and not social media, but and, and media, mass media. And um, sometimes, a lot of times, and I think unfortunately The Bachelor is just again, reflective of society, but there's some times where like, again, hopefully with this, I think right now, this, this, this Asian and Asian American Renaissance in movies, it's like, there's this pull that's like, yo, like, there's some really good actors and great filmmakers and it makes me think like i they're not just the the, the karate the guy who knows karate or the the, the computer expert or the, or the dorky dude you know like there are levels to this as there are to any any everybody so anyway well you are one of the few asian men on the bachelorette why do you think there's been so few do you think it's for lack of applicants or just casting choices that, that is such a fair question. And I really think it's probably more the former. I mean, to, to be on this show, I talked, I remember I talked about this when I was there. there. There's so many like, and you guys both know this, there's so many like things you have to go, like filters you have to go through. You need a certain, like you need to have a certain amount of time off, first of all, to be able to go on the show. You need to be in a certain like age range. You need to, um, uh honestly probably have a certain look like a you know and physique um you have to go through some other like health related tests they have to go through so to distill all of that down and also to know um again the audience it, it attracts and who watches the demographic of the people who watch the show who are fans of the show i really think like i wonder how many asian people apply to be on the show i don't i would imagine very very few. And so in fairness to the franchise, I kind of think it's, it's, it's a bit of both, you know, like I don't know how many people Asians could fit all these filters. It, it, it'd be tough. So it's a fair question. Excuse me for not being able to word this as eloquently as I would like. 
I feel like the Asian community has certain values that perhaps don't align with the franchise. Do you think that you think that that could be why there are fewer of that race that apply? I think that that's a fair point, Ashley. And I thank you for being even like comfortable enough to ask that, you know, seriously, because that was worded perfectly. I, I think that's fair. I think, you know, as a culture, we're just told to just say, like, just work hard. Like, don't try to stand out too much. Be humble. Um, being on television in front of like 6 million people is like the opposite of like, most of the values, especially of people who are like children of immigrants, you know, especially immigrants, like, yo, like, don't make a scene, just like, like, let your, like the body of your work speak for itself, you know, get the grades, you know, excel in, in the arts, in athletics, I mean, it's just like speak excellent and let that, you know, show anyone who wants to see it or any, I think you apply to, let that be evidence of your, of, your, of who you are. Not like go on a TV show and like show the world, you know, like how brave or how stupid you are, how, how whatever, whatever you want to say, we are on that show. So I think that's fair. Yeah, I think um, that's probably part of it, too. Like, no, I don't think anybody was like. I don't know who, how many people grow up and say, oh, man, I can't wait. I really want to be on a reality television show. I don't think very few people say that, but I think I literally nobody. None of my Asian friends growing up said that. So, Well, Joe, we appreciate you um, having this conversation with us. Uh, we're going to take a break here. When we come back, we have a few more minutes left with you. Uh, we're going to talk about this rumor uh, that's swirling around that you are the first conform confirmed contestant in Bachelor in Paradise. We're going to find out if that's true or not. Uh, and then we also have a little game that Ashley always loves to play with our guests. Uh, we'll be back with Joe, Dr. Joe Park uh, on the Almost Famous Podcast. <laughs> What keeps baby skin healthy? A diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. That's why Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better versus the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection to help keep your baby's skin dry and healthy. We have been a Pampers family since the start with Dawson. It takes you a few months of experimentation to figure out what really works. And for us, Pampers really works. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. All that, so important. Try Swaddlers with the new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin for trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. 
Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, now for the question our audience has been waiting for, Joe. Are you going to paradise like Rob Mills tweeted? I remember the last time you spoke with us back in October, November, you said that you hoped to be in a relationship by the time filming rolled around. So what's up? You know, sometimes your hopes uh, go unfulfilled, and um, that is the case uh, with this whole relationship thing as well. Um, as far as paradise, you know, yeah, I, I saw the tweet, and I saw a couple articles on um, uh, in a few in, like prominent like magazines doing like a deep dive. Yeah. Um, 
so to that, uh, I would say I am not confirmed to go to paradise. I'm not sure it's my vibe. They didn't get permission exactly. to put that out there. No. Well, we're going to wait and see about this because, uh, Dr. Joe, you might not know it yet, but I think you've already been signed up for Paradise, so you better start figuring out how to get that time off because the headlines... <laughs> yeah. no, I, I've been eating ice cream, a pint of ice cream like four times a week. I hope it's not... I'm not ready. Body You'll not be ready just fine. Uh, yes. Well, if you, if you were going to Paradise... Um, do your parents like watching a show? Like, is this something that they enjoy doing from you on The Bachelorette? Like, are they are they pushing it and pumped for it? My parents are always kind of like nervous. I don't know if they're ever that excited, but they, I know they're into it. Um, I, I think my parents were similar in the sense they were nervous for me. Like, is this something you really want to do? Like, what do you want to gain from this? Like, yeah. what are you really trying to get out of this? And I tell them, you know, I'm doing it for the followers, baby. Like, I just <laughs> want the, the Instagram. <laughs> No, I, I tell, I tell, I just tell them like, yeah, it's just a random thing to do. And like, you know, you only live once. And it's just like, again, like I tell them like, look at your story. Look at, you know, James is my older brother's story. Look at my younger brother's story. Like lightning can strike, you know, it struck a couple of times already in our family. Like who's to say it doesn't, it can't happen again. And so I say like, you know, I'll try not to embarrass you. I can't make any promises. Mm -hmm. um, like I wonder what would happen had I lost that, we played strip dodgeball in my season. Of yeah. Bachelor, and I wonder what would happen if I lost, you know, like I, you know, thank God I never had to go, you know, have to face that. But I, I think they just really want to make sure it's something that I want. And um, again, if I decided they support it. And so they're, that's why they're good parents. That's right. Well, yeah, we'll wait and see. We'll be fancy here. We'll hopefully have you back on. You've been a friend of the podcast. Um, you've been on a few times now. We always appreciate it. So if you do confirm or if you don't, uh, you still matter to us, uh, and we we do always hope to be watching you. Now, here's a part. We're going to get into Bachelor headlines in just a second with you. Uh, we're going to speed through those. Uh, but before we do, to close this segment of Dr. Joe Park's in-depth episode, Ashley always has a rapid-fire round uh, with our guest, and she has definitely set one up for you. So, Ashley, take it away. Sure. Okay, what is your favorite case to do to do anesthesia on? Oh, that's a good question. I like um, knee replacements. It's weird. <laughs> that's but... so random. <laughs> I'll tell you why. One, I love uh, taking up elderly patients. Like kids and elderly are my favorite. Um, but elderly patients are like the most, the realest people ever. And I love just the realness. I'm like, hey, how you doing? They're like, that's a great doc. You know, like I'm here in a hospital. Like, what do you mean? And I just love their, their realness. And with that, you actually, actually do a bunch of nerve blocks after the procedure. It's kind of fun to like, do something that's like not just like treating them and keeping them comfortable, but also somewhat therapeutic um, and helps them uh, with their pain after the procedure for the next day. And it's a lot of, it's like anatomy and it's like technical skill. And um, again, all that together is um, that's, what's part of like a, uh, like a joint, like a knee replacement. And so, and, and orthopedic surgeons are pretty fun. They're pretty um, they're like a fun group. So I appreciate like their personalities and stuff too. So. They were usually the jocks in school. That's the yeah, they're bros. They're definitely yeah, they're bros. bros. No, yeah. no medical like stereotype is more true. So I don't trust stereotypes all the time. But like, when you see that tall, jacked dude, you're like, that guy's not the surgeon. Like you just know it. You know, you just it's it's you can see it from a mile away. 
So, yeah. Usually the surgeons pick the music in the OR. So what are you usually excited to hear? You know, that's true. In, in my, um, in, in our ORs, it's, it's more diplomatic. <laughs> and uh, recently I like, yeah, like yesterday we listened to um, a little Lauren Hill unplugged, you know, to bring it back to the bachelor uh, we all loved, I'm sure like we're all kind of in the same age range, the miseducation of Lauren Hill. And, um, that was a seminal record, you know, album. And she had a great unplugged album in, um, 2002. And, uh, I got to find peace of mind. Matt James had on his like recent like post. And I was like, man, I haven't got song in years. And so I know it's not exactly a question, but that was one song I played recently. And, and the, the orthopedic surgeon was like vibing with it too and he's like she messes up here and i was like oh dude like again another reason why um again i love all the doing orthopedic procedures and um yeah that was kind of like the most memorable song and song choice that i recently awesome what is your typical night look like when you get home from work you know normally i get home from work um i pound some energy drinks and i do a podcast that's pretty much uh, this is pretty no, much no, that's what you're doing now what do you normally do yeah no normally i'll either i'll play um a little guitar um i'll, I'll i have like a i do like spanish tutoring online um i have like a weight a couple i have an adjustable weight in my uh in my closet over here so i'll like do like a workout and now the weather's getting great i have a couple of goals for like this next year and uh a marathon's one of them. So I'm, I've been running a lot and the weather's getting better. So I'm running a lot. So um, yeah, New York in, in the spring is beautiful. So the more you speak, yeah. the more I wonder how the hell you're single. I think it's that you haven't found somebody worthy of you yet. Um, oh. What was your last date? When was it? And what did you do? <clears throat> you know, it was pre-show. This is like, you haven't gone on a date show. post show since you've become like the bachelor. Um, I, I'm, this is not, I'm not even, this is not like, um, podcast, like reality, like reality. This is like reality, reality, the sad reality. Uh, yeah, it's true. It's, it's a weird thing. And then you guys can relate like, and I know Ben last time around, you're like, yo, like look at those DMs, but I did not mm-hmm. heed your advice. Um, I've just been kind of like, again, trying to, Hoping, I was kind of hoping it happens kind of like naturally, kind of in the real world, kind of. Um, but during the pandemic, it's obviously tough. So the last thing I went on was months before the show. I went on a hike. This is true. So with a girl, and I, I, I um, before the show contacted me, so it was like early, like pre-spring, like right, like Perry spring, right, right as I was turning spring. Weather was getting good. Went on a hike. Went on a hike go? and. Um, over yeah oh, probably about a year ago yeah i can look at my phone like, with pictures it's a beautiful day and um i'd seen this person a few times and on the last time i saw her as we were driving back from the hike she was like um i should probably tell you something <laughs> i was like yeah you know was, like you know it's a great time i tried to tell you something and she said um i'm married <laughs> and oh. i was like i was like i was like i was like and she was not from the u.s i was like wait did you say you were married and she was like, no, no, no. I said, I'm married. And uh, you could kind of probably imagine how the conversation went from there. So, <laughs> that was all wow. All so right. it's was, it was only, it was only up from there. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm starting in a very low place. I think uh, from mm-hmm. there, I could just, everything is, uh, yeah, better than that. Okay. 
Well, I think we're going to move on now to our some of our headlines. And we would love if you could join us for, for some of them because your friend, Bennett, who you hang out with a good amount of time and recently did from, was it Top of the Rock, that you guys did yeah. uh, the flying scene? from uh, the, the Edge. The Edge. Oh, the Edge, uh, edge now? Oh, okay. Well, the Sorry. Edge. They rebranded. Yeah. Okay. So you did... Different site. Different, different place. Different, oh, different place. place. Oh, okay. Yeah. Really cool. You guys pretended to be Jack and Rose, um, but it looks like Bennett wants Kelly to be his Rose. He kind of, he kind of put his, he threw a shot out there um, on Instagram this week, saying that she caught his eye. So you think that there could be some romance there if they both end up in paradise? Oof, that's a great question. First of all, I want to give a shout out to Bennett because um, before that, we went to an AAPI rally and uh, I told them, hey, I'll meet you there. I'm going to this rally. Bennett's like, if you're going, I'm going. You know, I want to support. So he came to um, um, an anti-Asian hate rally with me beforehand. So um, obviously I love the man for that. But um, we, uh, but to that point, you know, Kelly Flanagan catches a lot of people's eyes <laughs> in fairness. So is he one of the, one of the like a, one of the pairs of eyes that she has caught? Yeah, I think so. I absolutely think so. Yeah, she's um, super intelligent. She's super attractive. Like, I think a lot of people are shooting their shot. He's just very obvious about it, and um, he's a confident guy. He's very good looking, very successful. And why wouldn't he want to take that shot? Um, I definitely think there there might be something there on Paradise if if they're both if they both find themselves there. I would. Chance of, of, of sparks uh, is very high. Could there be some hostility between you and him for Kelly if you guys both ended there, ended up there because it sounded like you displaced her? Um, I don't know Kelly and uh, at all. And I didn't see that season with Peter. Um, I actually didn't meet Peter. Peter. Peter and I used to play on a flag football team now, so I know Peter. I don't know Kelly. Um, but. Uh, but if I, it, but but it, but if we meet, and if I one, if I go in paradise, two, if we meet, three, if if, if we uh, get along, then um, yeah, there might be some, you know, there might be a little tension there, but we'll see. You know, a lot, a lot, a lot of ifs there, but you know, we're two gentlemen. I feel like we can work it out amicably, or we'll just have to do like a, a gun duel, one or the other. We'll see. <laughs> Next headline, Joe, that we'd love uh, for you to share your insight on is Catherine Lowry calls facing damaging racial slurs and powerful plea to end anti-Asian violence. This is according to E! News. Joe, when you hear this and read this, did you experience anything like this? Uh, and uh, and the story goes on to say this, just so you have some background. At a very young age, The Bachelor's Catherine Lowe writes in an essay to E, my sisters and I were called mongrels because my Filipino mother had children with a Caucasian man. Um, Joe, when you hear this headline, you read that quote, uh, what do you think? Um, you know, it, obviously it's, it's hurtful. Um, and I think all of us, you know, who grew up, <clears throat> honestly, I think everyone who didn't grow up white in a predominantly white area, and I assume she did, um, or non-Asian area, which is pretty much every area outside of like parts of California. Um, we all, I think we all experienced some level of, um, of, of you know, racism when we grow up. And um, it's hurtful and unfortunately, like when we're young, you know, we don't we don't live our life backwards. It's like there's some things that when we're young, and I, I just attribute a certain age, but like when our hormones 
are like still like kind of like forming and our brain is still like so un undercooked it's still so doughy that it's when it solidifies even though we can rationalize oh these were just you know children they didn't know any better um and i bet now they do still like once that hormonal experience has solidified that still you still feel it and and, and i i feel her pain and again i'm just happy that maybe it took this moment for her to talk about that and maybe that's like some catharsis for her to say hey like here's my story and now people are willing to listen to it in this moment mm -hmm. especially and here we are talking about it again and so i think it's great and i and i and i applaud her for her courage and a bravery to be able to talk about this painful memory nobody Obviously, it's not easy to talk about, especially in a public forum. And so um, I think a lot of people, you know, of every background who's not, who's any other of any form will relate. And hopefully they'll, they'll know, hey, like, and I was okay. And it still hurt. That hurt doesn't go away. But, like, you'll be all right, too. You know, just, like, get through it. And, hopefully, and again, times are changing, hopefully. And so um, I just want, yeah, just thank her for, for doing that. The final headline that we really wanted to, to read through with you and to hear if you could relate or if you felt this as well as Sydney uh, Latwako from Colton Season said she felt the pressure of the entire Asian race filming The Bachelor. That's the headline according to Us Weekly. I didn't really think about it because I didn't watch the show. I, I had no idea uh, of the paucity of Asians in on the franchise. Um, it's always there. And like the producers, some of the producers I was very close with, like would say, hey, just by the way, man, like we haven't had people like you on before. Like your story is not the normal story. And um, I think while I was there, I kind of started thinking about it more. And I said this on um, Nick uh, Vial's podcast and um, I'll say it again. There's this one handler there. I'm gonna say his name, I don't know his name is Tino. I love Tino, Tino, I love you, man. He was such a great guy. And uh, we would talk late at night. And at times when I was like feeling down or like, I was like, man, like, what am I even, what am I doing here? You guys know the long nights. Uh, I'll just be reminded of this Jay-Z quote from H. The Izzo, which is, I do this for my culture. And um, a little bit, I was like, yo, you're representing yourself first and foremost, but also your family. And maybe to like so many people, especially honestly in middle America, um, in the South who maybe don't haven't seen an Asian man before or like in, in life and, and, not, and not even in like on TV and in movies like maybe you might be one of the first people there getting to know a little bit and so yeah he felt it a little bit and so I, I definitely empathize with her in that way well before we let you go you got to create a headline for us now if you were to go to paradise oh. who do you want to see there uh, that's so easy. Brendan. <laughs> uh, you took the easy way out. You took the easy oh, way out. That's so sweet, though. It's very sweet. It was almost so sweet that I'm going to say just as good as if you gave us a girl's name. Well, Joe, Dr. Joe Park, thank you so much for joining us. We're going to continue with Bachelor Headlines, but we're going to let you go so you can get some rest. You can uh, learn some Spanish, play your guitar, drink some more energy drinks, stay awake for as long as possible. Um, <laughs> really appreciate you, man. Uh, been great getting to know you better, and we hope to see you back here soon. So wonderful having you. Ashley, Ben, it's always great being on uh, your podcast, and thank you so much for inviting me. Seriously, it was great to talk to you, and thank you for your thoughtful questions and, uh, and, your, and everything else. 
You're the man. Hey, we'll talk to you soon, Joe. We're going to take a break here with the Almost Famous Podcast. When we come back, we're going to continue with Bachelor Headlines. What keeps baby skin healthy? A diaper that doesn't leave skin wet. That's why Pampers Swaddlers absorbs wetness better versus the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection to help keep your baby's skin dry and healthy. We have been a Pampers family since the start with Dawson. It takes you a few months of experimentation to figure out what really works. And for us, Pampers really works. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. All that so important. Try Swaddlers with the new Pampers free and gentle wipes for healthy baby skin For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
My name is Johnny B. Good, and I'm the host of the new podcast, Creating a Con, the story of BitCon. Over this nine-part series, I'll explore the life and crimes of my best friend, Ray Trapani. I always wanted to be a criminal. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. You see, Ray has this unique ability to find loopholes and exploit them. They collected $30 million. There were headlines about it. His company, Centratech, was one of the hottest crypto startups in 2017. It was going to change the world, until it didn't. I came into my office, opened my email, and the subject heading was FBI request. It was only a matter of time before the truth came out. You can only fake it till you make it for so long before they find out that your Harvard degree is not so crimson. How could you sit there and do something that you know will objectively cause more harm in the world? Listen to Creating a Con, the story of BitCon, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's always a pleasure having a guest on doing an in-depth episode. These are some of our favorite uh, in the off-season. Dr. Joe Park was incredible. Uh, We're going to finish the podcast here with Bachelor headlines that are happening right now as we speak. We're going to start with this. Matt James has returned to Instagram. He wipes The Bachelor from his profile. This is according to Us Weekly. Yeah, super interesting. So we all know, or (laughs) if you listen to this podcast, you know that last week he deleted all the photos from his Instagram, anything that was promotional of The Bachelor, now, the only photo that refers to The Bachelor is his response to um, the Chris Harrison interview. Um, he also has listed, he's not, he's not The Bachelor in his bio or anything like that. He has listed real estate as his profession, CBRE as his place of work. He says that he's a believer and that life revolves around his work at the ABC Food Tours. And uh, yeah, so it seems like he's trying to put The Bachelor in his past, literally and figuratively. He is back on Instagram, though. Uh, Matt James can be seen back on Instagram. Well, uh, next headline is this. Inside Claire Crawley's very romantic 40th birthday getaway with Dale Moss is according to E! News. Yep. Last week, we told you that the two of them were spotted giving each other mask kisses in new york city well it looks like he followed her back to california for the last week of march for her 40th birthday they went to napa they were by the um, pool together they had champagne it it, it was according to a source everything that claire wanted for her birthday happy happy 40th to claire crawley and it sounds like her and dale are Still hanging out. We'll call it that for now. Uh, in a recent interview, Sydney Latwako, who we just spoke about with uh, Dr. Joe Park a second ago uh, with Us Weekly, she revealed a lot. It's a great interview. I recommend everybody going out and checking it out. It's with um, their uh, Here for the Right Reasons podcast. But she also says this, Sydney Latwako recall recalls bachelor Colton Underwood playing favorites. He had the most contestants quit, she says. This is according to Us Weekly. Yeah. Basically, it, that's basically the headline is is the article. She she said that it was obvious that he was playing favorites, and and that it wasn't like didn't make them feel good about themselves seeing him, him look at other girls a certain way and then not give them attention, and that was kind of what put the nail in the coffin for her when she decided to leave on her own. 
Blake Hortzman reveals why he doesn't regret releasing Kaylin Miller Key's text after Bachelor in Paradise drama. This is according to Us Weekly as well. So if you guys remember during that season of Bachelor in Paradise, which was almost a year and a half ago, um, there was a lot of he said, she said, and Blake put out some texts that happened between him and and, Car- and Kaylin during that infamous stagecoach weekend. And he said that he's never going to feel guilty for defending himself and for showing up to fight for himself. He said that he was told that he shouldn't put anything out about it. He, they really, as a show, they didn't want him releasing anything that happened off the show. So, but, but he said, I can't, I have to defend myself. Well, in a recently uh, released text thread uh, that is getting a lot of um, conversation going right now, Evan Bass jokes about Carly Waddell split and dating again during brief Instagram return. This according to us weekly. Also, this is all just very silly. Um, (laughs) Evan was in Mexico and he was there getting dental surgery. And the night before he uh, was just texting with Carly and they were kind of, it seemed a little bit flirty, like a little tongue in cheek um, about, I believe if he died in surgery, who she would marry next. So there was like some silliness there. And um, she, she was, there was like a, like a little bit of playfulness because of his Italian heritage and like that she, that she should never marry another Italian again. The bottom line to me from this story is that Carly and Evan are still talking and and they are in a playful sense. So who knows what could come of this? That being said, when asked on Instagram whether or not he and Carly could get back together again, he quoted Humpty Dumpty, which was if all the king's horses and all the king's men, dot, 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 we know the rest of the rhyme, couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again so I think that's alluding to them not being able to figure it out who knows stay tuned it's wild well speaking of former bachelor couples bachelorettes Ashley Hebert reunites with a strange husband JP Rosenbaum says they're best friends forever after split this is according to us weekly yeah this is kind of surprising to me it just seemed like they didn't end on like the the most positive note but over the weekend she posted an Insta story of the two of them together, and she said, too cool for school, too cool for school, as she teased in a playful way again her strange husband, um, and she captioned the Instagram story, best friends forever, which is great. I'm glad that they're on such good terms. Well, The Bachelorette's Jason Tardick reveals plans to start a family with Caitlin Bristow. This is according to Hollywood Life. Yeah, it's a juicy headline, but there's not much to go with it. But we can confirm that they're both wanting a family. Um, And he said that in an ideal world, they would love to have twins. I think they just want to bang it out. (laughs) But uh, they said that he said, I think we're in the perfect situation for kids. Um, Twins would be nice, but just a happy kid would be what we what we desire. Well, in uh, the final headline, in also some more baby news, inside pregnant Lauren Burnham and Ari Leyendijk Jr.'s Hawaii baby moon ahead of twins' birth. 
I know. The two of them went on a baby moon this week. All the photos are on Instagram. Cute content for sure. So um, follow follow that. Uh, they, I feel like Hawaii is a very special place for them. I think they baby mooned there. They baby mooned there last time? I'm not sure, but that's where they got married. It's a special time. Well, this has been another Almost Famous Podcast, an in-depth episode with Dr. Joe Park. I want to thank Dr. Joe Park for coming on and giving us so much time. Ashley, as always, you're the best. We're going to be back next week with another episode of the Almost Famous Podcast. Until then, I've been Ben. And I've been Ashley. Toodaloo, y'all. Follow the Ben and Ashley I Almost Famous Podcast on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. America, we are endowed by our creator, with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Season 9 of Next Question with me, Katie Couric. I've got some big news to share with you in our season premiere featuring the one and only Chris Jenner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. That is very, very exciting. And that's just the beginning. We'll also be joined by podcast hosts Jay Shetty, Hillary Clinton, Renee Fleming, Liz Cheney, and many more. So come on in, take a break from the incessant negativity for a weekly dose of fascinating conversations. Some of them, I promise, will actually put you in a good mood. Listen to Next Question with me, Katie Couric, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.